We had a great experience a couple of weeks ago, and it really impacted me. We live out on Barnard, and we got some land there, and I don't know if you know Matchett or not, but they have a bunch of sheep. And probably the biggest sheep farmer, I think, probably in, in Michigan. He called me one here a while ago, and he, Isaac did, and he said, Dick, we got to move some sheep. He said, is it okay if we move them through by your cabin, take your cabin trail? Well, I said, absolutely. So Lois and I was out there, and we heard them coming. And they sounded just like a freight train. And I went down, and we watched. And I'll tell you what, I don't think anything has ever impacted me like those sheep. We went, I went down there. And it was probably, with the, with the bucks and the ewes and the lambs, there was probably 400, maybe 450. And they came down, and Tim was going ahead of them. And, and there, was a, there was several issues there. Tim was going ahead of them, and he was saying, come sheep, come sheep. And those sheep would follow him. And I thought, that scripture, my sheep know my voice. And at the same time, Behind him, there was Isaac, Noah, and one of their wives. One was on a four-wheeler, one had a shepherd's staff, and the other one had a dog. And they, they were going. Now and then, there would be a few sheep that, bust, that would bust out. Now, they were moving them for one reason, because the shepherd realized that where they were grazing was not good food, was not nutritional for them. So they were moving to greener, greater pastures and the older sheep knew that the experienced sheep they had done that before and so they were content they were happy to follow the voice and the leading of the shepherd but there was some small ones some of the ewes that perhaps had never been moved before or had not been moved as many times as the older ones had been moved and now and then they would try and struggle and bust out of the pack a little bit and, and they had some fence along some paths. They had shut some paths down where they did not want these sheep to go. And, and, and I followed them for probably a mile. And, and I thought, isn't that just like Jesus? To, to block off some paths that we are not to go. And those sheep didn't go there. But in, sp and in spite of that, some of those little unruly sheep busted out. Now, the shepherd would keep going, come sheep, come sheep, and the big sheep would follow. They would turn around and they would look at those little ones that were busting out, and he would point to one of his boys, and, and, and they would go with the shepherd's staff and try to get him in. If that didn't work, he, the, the guy with the four-wheeler would go after him and try to cut him off, and if that didn't work, they would send the dog after him, and the dog would get around and curl him and put him back in. And I thought, boy, oh boy, isn't that just how Jesus treats us in our life? We get, out of, we get out of step every now and then. We get out of place every now and then. And because he loves us and he cares for us, he pushes us back in. And, and as, they, as they went, the ones that were really out of place, I thought, you know what? These are, these are out of place for one reason. Because they're unlearned. They haven't learned to follow the shepherd. See, after he would move them probably four, five, six times, they didn't realize where they were going. The older ones knew they, where they were going. They knew they were going 
where there was something better to eat. So they were content to follow. And follow they did. Absolutely no trouble at all. But the little guys, they kept wanting to go here, wanting to go there, because they did not know. They had not been trained. They had not been taught the importance of following that shepherd when he says, come sheep, come sheep. He was only wanting them to come for their benefit. It showed great compassion. And I tell you what, I got a lump in my throat as big as a football as I, as I, as I followed those sheep. And I thought, what in the world? How can a guy ever get by this experience? And I thought how great it was. Then I began to think, you know, is there a lot of people today that struggle in their relationship with Jesus because they refuse to be taught, because they don't want to learn, yeah. because they haven't learned to place confidence in the shepherd, realizing that when the shepherd says, come sheep, come sheep, he's only leading them to better pastures. Amen. He cares for those sheep. If he didn't care for those sheep, if they busted out, he wouldn't have cared. He'd say, go on. Let the coyotes or something else get you. But he loved those sheep. And I think, you know what? We have a choice. We can either follow the shepherd. We can either follow his bidding. We can put ourselves in the position to where, yes, I'm willing to be taught, and I want to be taught, and I want to learn what it means to follow the shepherd. Or we can put ourselves in the place like these little lambs did. We can go through life being chased by a four-wheeler. We can go through life being chased by a shepherd's staff. Or we can go through life being chased by the dog. Always running, running, running. But if we learn to follow the voice of the shepherd. Lois and I went by there the other night where, where they were in their new pasture. And they were so content. They were eating. They were laying down. There was a lot of nutrition. And I thought, man, help me learn. Amen. To follow you, to hear your voice. And when I hear your voice, go there and be content to stay there. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Amen. Amen. So good. So um, thank you for sharing that. So I pray that that ministers to someone this morning, and uh, it did to me, and so thank you for sharing, Dick. That's awesome. Amen. Well, it's unfortunate that we are done with the series that we were on for the past number of weeks. I really enjoyed that series on a tipping point, and um, it was really good. And unfortunately, we had to end it because it was over, and now you get stuck with me. My fear at the beginning of that was that you would like that so much that I would be out of a job. And, uh, but uh, I would willingly give up that to hear that message over again because it was really good. In fact, if you want to listen to it again, you can. It's on the internet. Just Google Tipping Point Jimmy Evans and you will find it. Um, it is a timely message and it was well done and well received. And uh, I'm so thankful that your willingness to allow us to do something different and not be just down the routine of church just to come in to get church done, but we truly are hearing the voice of the Lord. And I think that was truly a time, a message for our time. But I want to continue on this morning. I want to go back and finish up the series that we started way before that on the maturing fruit of the Holy Spirit, basically the fruit of the Spirit. 
And we've gone through all of them. We're down to the last one. And today we're going to talk about the one that holds them all together. The anchor of them all is self-control. Self-control. We'll see that this final fruit or this final grape on the cluster is the anchor, is the one that ties them all together. Self-control is so important that without self-control, the person truly isn't able to live a life walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Without self-control, you really can't do any of the others. Self-control is that important. And let me say something right now at the start as we begin to talk about this self-control concept. Realize that this is not spouse control or not parent control or not pastor control. What is it? Say it with me. Self-control. So who's controlling self? Self. This is no, you can't not look for anyone else to come in and take control of your life when it is your life. You are in charge of your life. And I don't see God ever changing that now or ever. In the end, he will not give anyone the opportunity to credit or blame anyone else for their good or poor choices. So let's just say right now at the very beginning as we begin this study today on self-control that this message is very pertinent to every one of us this morning because we are all self. I am unique and I am myself and so are you. And so I would ask us all that we would stay connected and pay attention and that we ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us this morning about what it means and how we can do a better job in our life with our self-control. Let's pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you so much for your mercies and your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. But Lord, you've also given us free choice. And Lord, I ask, I'm asking now for, on, for all's benefit, for my benefit and for everyone else here this morning, that you would just give us the ability to control self. Do a, help us do a better job pleasing you with what we do and what we do and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's review the fruit, what the fruit of the Spirit are. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against all such things there is no law. The nine fruit that are listed are not nine separate fruits like apples, oranges, bananas, pears, cherries, and so on. But rather, they are like a cluster of grapes, meaning all are of the same fruit called grapes, yet each grape is singular, yet of the same vine of the same cluster. I happened to grab a little cluster of grapes from uh, Sandra's little food display out there, and, and it just happened to be timely for the message today. But as I look at this little cluster of grapes, I look at it, and I look at each grape, and I see that they are individual yet they can be described with certain characteristics. Tell me, some, give me some characteristics that describe this cluster of grapes. Okay, they're all the same vine. But yet, I look at each grape, and tell me some characteristics of the grape. A standalone, but yet they're together. They're all round. They're all of the same color. 
not the same size, but the same shape most of the time, if they're healthy, that is, unless they're withered up. We like them sweet. If it's ripe and sweet, they're crisp, they're juicy. If they're healthy, they're sweet, they're firm, they're all nutritious, but yet they're all unique, but yet they're all the same. So the fruit of the Spirit is not nine separate fruits. It's one fruit with multiple characteristics like a grape of clusters, I mean like a cluster of grapes. Excuse me. A grape of clusters, a cluster of grapes, but yet they're all for a purpose. They're all for a purpose. The fruit of the Spirit, likewise, are the same things. They are love, joy, peace, patience. We've already said it. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And they're typically seen together in a clump or a cluster in a person's life. We don't normally see the fruit separated. If a person has one fruit of the Spirit, he typically has the other fruits of the Spirit associated. They typically come together in a cluster. And that's why we talk about it that way, as a, as a singular fruit, yet individual characteristics, because they all kind of work together to build on each other, and self-control is kind of the, the glue that puts them all together. It's the kind of the things that brings them all to bear. Now, let's go back to why are we talking about fruit of the Spirit as we're talking about a series on the Holy Spirit why are we talking about the fruit of the Spirit first before we're getting into the manifestation of the Spirit? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, first of all, what are the two main purposes of fruit? The two main purposes of fruit are one, to be eaten, and number two, to reproduce in like kind. Fruit is to be eaten and to reproduce. Fruit is useless without a recipient. Think about that for a minute. If I'm on an island, for example, all by myself, totally isolated from other people, then the fruit of the Spirit in me wouldn't have much reason or it wouldn't have any much impact in my life. Because if I'm by myself, then it doesn't make any difference if I'm kind or good or faithful or gentle or any of the other fruit because it's all about me. I'm all by myself. Fruit has to, has, have, has to have a recipient. That's the reason that God wants us to walk and live in the fruit of the Spirit so that we can have a godly impact in the broken world that we live in. That we can share the fruit of the Holy Spirit with others. That they can see it evident in our life and that we can plant the seeds of godliness into other people's lives, that they can be nutritioned from us, and that we can plant the seed to re reproduce the fruit in their life. And so fruit must have a recipient. Thus the fruit of the Spirit must be evident in my life so that I can offer others nutrition. Like Dick talked about today, about how the shepherd takes the sheep from a field that has been used up, with little nutrition to a new field that is full of new grass, new nutrition. Therefore, it's important that we exercise and that we live in the fruit of the Spirit so that we can share God's goodness with others. On the other side, if as a professing Christian, as a professing Christian or a person that claims to be a Christian, if we're not producing good and healthy fruit in our lives, then how can we reproduce healthy and productive offspring in other lives? We have to be consistent 
in our manner. If we're living lives that say that we're grapes, if we're professing to be a grape on the cluster here, but aren't truly a grape, it's going to be obvious to those around us as, as soon as they take a bite of our life, as soon as they see us. If I claim to be a person that is loving but not showing love, then I'm not bearing the fruit that proves that I'm loving. If we're, or if a person that is constantly grumpy and angry, the, the woe is me type of a person, then where is the fruit of the joy of the Lord in their life? And not to say that we don't have a bad day every now and then, because I know we do, but we, don't, we shouldn't live in that grumpy, woe is me, look at my misery type of an attitude, because there's no joy there. We're not, we're not exuding the joy of the Lord. Or a person that is supposed to be promoting peace and contentment, but rather is a person that brings stress and conflict in the situations on a regular basis. Where is the fruit of peace? Or a person that is impatient in situations or with people, where is the, the forbearance or the patience that is supposed to be evident in his life? And, and so on with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Basically, the reason that we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit why we speak about it now is that we, if we're going to be productive and if we're going to be efficient in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world, we need to be living like it in our life first so that we then can exercise it, we then can be nutritioned by it, and that we can reproduce it in other lives. We can't be inconsistent in this. That's why we began this series beginning with speaking on the fruit of the Spirit first before we got into the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to get into later, and I'm excited about that. We're going to get into the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what does it really mean? And we're going to speak about what Pentecostals should speak about. We're going to speak about speaking in tongues, and we're going to speak about prophecy, and we're going to speak about what it means, and why is it important, and why do we do that, and how do we do that? I'm excited for the next few weeks where we're going to go with that because that's what this is all about. It's about leading up to the power that we have when we allow the Holy Spirit to truly live in us and fill us to the point that he bubbles up through us in a new language. Amen. It's going to be good. So bear with me on that one. That's going to be exciting. But what I've realized, talking about self-control... What I've noticed in my life is the, the element that I struggle with the most on the list of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I don't know about you, but that is the thing that I struggle with quite a bit. Being able to control my desires. Being able to control my mind. Being able to control the thoughts. Being able to control my actions, my words, my attitudes. And it's as if God is indicating that without self-control... It's very impossible or quite impossible to be a balanced and healthy Christian person that is vibrant in this world, both physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. All those things come with the ability to be controlling myself. Self-control is something that we must have in our lives without exception. If we're going to exhibit a balanced, nutrition, nutritioned, productive lifestyle that shows Christ, Self-control must be evident. It must be there. We don't have the excuse to fly off the handle here or there or blow it here or there intentionally and get away with it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Amen? Anybody not made a mistake this week? Huh? You what? Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you did. I was with you at lunch. I saw you. 
So let me just say this as we continue on with this. God has given every person, man, woman, and child, the most incredible power in the universe, the power of choice. That is the most powerful power in the universe is the ability to choose. And God has given that to you and me. What this means is that I, as an individual, in my uniqueness, I'm not only unique in my physical genetic makeup, because I am. There's nobody quite like me, thank goodness, for your benefit. There's nobody quite like you, thank goodness, for my benefit. There is, it's just the way we are. We are very unique in our physical makeup. But we're also in, we're unique in the fact that we have, we can make choices. And that we bear the choices uniquely based upon what I did. And based upon what you do. And even though God controls the universe and everything he created, he's given up controlling us. He does not control you. The Holy Spirit does not control me. I have control of this man. The Holy Spirit, God, gave me that control when he created me, and he cannot and will not take it back. Therefore, I am responsible for my actions. Now, he may allow things to happen, or he, he may even cause some things to happen in our lives to direct us, to rebuke us, to encourage us, and train us. But he will never, ever step in and make me do anything I don't want to do. If he did that one time, then I would no longer exist to be human. Then I'm a robot. And God did not make robots. He made humans in his image with the control of choice that he has. It's very important that we understand this so that we don't, have, we don't fall into the trap of saying, the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson for all those old people here. Or I can't blame it on my spouse or my wife, or she is my spouse, or my father or my mother. I can't blame it on people. You can't blame it on your Sunday school teacher. You can't blame it on your pastor. Or you can't give him credit. We're going to stand unique before the Lord. So let me say this also. That what I'm not saying here is that we are earning our salvation by our works. Very important that we understand that. As, as much as we speak on the power of choice, I do not have the power to save myself. There's nothing I can do within myself to save me from the coming wrath of the Lord because of my sin. I did not save myself. I cannot save myself. The only reason I'm saved this morning is by the grace of Jesus Christ. By the fact that he died on the cross for me, he forgives me of my sin, and I receive it. That's how I become saved. That's how you become saved. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, who because our, our, he is our salvation. So that doesn't conflict with self-control. Understand that. It, I still have the power to receive or reject that salvation. But I can't get saved on my own until, unless the Lord already provided the payment for my sin, which he did. So now I just receive it. And as I receive it, I'm saved. Amen? Is anybody confused? Are we okay? All right. I don't want to confuse anybody on this. So what does it mean, really, to have self-control? What does it mean here to have self-control? Well, according to the various verses and the various Greek words used to define what the term self-control is, let me summarize the definitions for you. Self-control means to have self-control. 
I mean, that's really what it means. You can't get much more basic than that. But it means to be in a right state of mind, to have sober judgment, to be clear-minded, to be wise and prudent in our nature. And I like that word prudent. John and I are going through a Bible study on, uh, on, some, on Thursday mornings, and, and we came across that word a while ago, didn't we, John? Prudent. What does it mean to be prudent? Prudent means having a good sense carefully considering the consequences of our actions. The synonyms for prudence are other words are sensible or wise or careful or discreet. And I like the one, I like the one best is called farsighted. A prudent person is a farsighted person. And these are very good definitions that give us a good solid instruction that a self-controlled person is a person that is consistently striving to make good, well-thought-out choices that weighs the long-term consequences of his actions and his choices as more important than the short-term satisfaction of a poor choice. The self-controlled person understands that he will give an account of every thought, action, and word, and he will conduct his life accordingly. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 and 37 it says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And then Romans, Paul talks about this. He says in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So the self-controlled person understands this. The self-controlled person is a prudent person that is a far-sighted person that is looking out far enough out and he's measuring his consequences based on his actions today that he's making good, wise, controlled decisions. Good choices that might make him feel like he's given up on a short-term satisfaction. But it's going to be worth it in the end when he knows that his consequences will be his to bear and his alone to bear. This person is also aware of the surroundings around him and the people, here, listen to this one, and the people that that person, meaning me or you, have a direct or an indirect influence over and are concerned that our choices and our behaviors can bear both positive and negative results in the other people. A self-controlled person understands that he has influence over others. Whether you realize it or not, you are influencing people. Now, you may be saying to yourself that this really doesn't apply to me. I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not in a position of authority to influence other people. Well, can I suggest to you that that is not right? That that is a wrong thought process. That you are absolutely influential in the lives of people, no matter how young or old you are, or no matter what your condition or, or position in life is. No matter where you find, your, you find yourself in the stage of life that you're in, you are influential, and there are those that are looking at your life, and you are an influencer of others. Like we've already established, the purpose of fruit is to be eaten and to reproduce. 
God is expecting each person, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, to walk in the Spirit, exercising and with evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives so that they can then influence others to do likewise. Where do I find that? I find that in Scripture. I find that very clearly talked about in the book of Titus. Open your Bible. We're going to stay the rest of this time in the book of Titus. You might want to open your Bible at Titus if you'd like to. But Paul writes to Titus, and he gives us good wisdom and instruction. First to the overseer or the elder, which is myself and others in this role. But Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, talks to us. And he says, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Dick, when I read that, I'm thinking of the example you gave about the shepherd. That's exactly what the shepherd is. He is that one standing in front of the sheep saying, Come, follow me, follow me, follow me. I'm taking you to pastures that are better, that are richer. Now, here's a question. The shepherd, is he perfect? No. The shepherd is not perfect. Thank goodness for that. But he has to live a life that is above reproach. There's a, there's a lot of responsibility to that. Okay, You have to give me and other shepherds some grace here on this one. Right? We're not perfect, doing the best we can. But we must put ourselves to this, to this guidelines. If we're not holding ourselves firmly to this biblical guideline, then we're going to be leading you to pastures that are not nutritious. We're going to be leading you to pastures that meet our definition of what it means, and there is not spiritual truth there. It might make that shepherd feel more comfortable, or it might be easier to get the flock there, but if we don't hold ourselves accountable to God's Word, then we're only fooling ourselves, and we are not being faithful to God's Word, and we're not bringing nutrition. So help us, Lord, to do the right things. But Paul doesn't stop there. Thank goodness for me, he doesn't stop there. He talks about you now a little bit, all right? Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Okay, verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one can malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. <laughs> self-control is a dominant theme here. Paul is talking to us about we need to be self-controlled at all ages. And we need to learn to be self-controlled. We need to be taught to be self-controlled. Now, who did Paul identify in this passage? We, we read it. He, he identified older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. 
Is there a group here that isn't included? Could we all find ourselves in one of those four categories? You're either younger or older. And I'm sorry, I don't care what the politically correct people say, you're either a male or you're a female. You're not changing. You're one or the other. And you always will be that way. What is to be taught to each group? What is to be taught to each group? Self-control. Somebody's listening, thank you. So what does self-control accomplish in our life? Once again, Paul has the answer. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now notice that this passage starts off in verse 11 by telling us that we're saved by the grace of God. God offers salvation by his grace and mercy. Again, Paul is very concerned that he doesn't want anyone to think that they can earn their salvation. This self-controlled message can be easily misconstrued to people thinking that we're trying to earn it by our own works. We're not. We're saved by God's grace, and Paul says it right from the very beginning. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to people. God's grace is offering you salvation. You are not earning it. God's offering it to you. But then verse 12 tells us, that there is more than just salvation in the life of a Christian person. It continues to grow in our lives and teaches us some very important things in how we're to live. Verse 12 says, it teaches us to say no, not yes, not maybe, not maybe later. No, two simple letters, N-O. What does no mean? <laughs> Can you define it any other way? It doesn't say mess with it. It doesn't say manage it. It doesn't say deal with it. It says no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And this is not earning our salvation. This is as a result of our salvation. Once I'm saved, I have control of my life to say no to the worldly passions because I'm saved. That is why I say no. Not as a way to earn God's favor, not as a way to earn God's grace, but because of God's grace, I say no. And I say yes to the things of God. Yeah. Let me just say this, that self-control is not intended to take away our fun and enjoyment in life. Understand that. The devil, as soon as that word to say no come up to worldly pleasures. I know those that are walking on the fence are saying, yeah, and how boring is that? I don't want to be one of those stuffy church people. I don't want to have that no attitude in my life. You know where that's coming from? That's not coming from the Holy Spirit. That's coming from the spirit of this world. And if you're listening to that spirit of the world, you're listening to the wrong spirit because if you say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness, you are not giving up your enjoyment. You are not giving up your joy. You are not giving up your happiness. Rather, what you're doing is you're gaining it because you're saying yes to the things that have lasting happiness and lasting joy and lasting peace. But when I say no to the worldly passions of this life, I'm protecting myself. I really liked what Jimmy Evans said last week about morals. 
A moral person is a safe person. Morality gives us guidelines to live to protect us. If I don't have morality in my life, if, if, an, if I have an anything goes mentality, and even as a professing Christian, that I can do what I want to do when I get out of church on Monday through Friday and still expect to have God's goodness in my life, I'm playing a dangerous game because I'm taking myself out of the protection of the morality of life. Moral people are safe people. Godly people are safe people to be around. And they're fun people to be around. A person that is truly saved is the most joyous person in the world. A person that truly has a relationship with Jesus Christ is not a negative person. He's not a downer. He's not a person that you don't want to be around. He is a person that you want to be around because there's joy in his life and the, all the fruit of the Spirit are evident in his life and you can pick off his fruit and you can eat his fruit and you can be nutritioned by his fruit and he can reproduce his fruit in you because he's rubbing off the goodness of God in you. That's what true Christianity is about. Amen. Thank you. Why are we saved? Chapter 3 of Titus. Titus number, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now that sounds like a good description of a self-controlled person to me. In fact, Paul uses many of the same words of the fruit of the Spirit. He used good, peaceable, and gentle and the Bible, then, do you see how Paul is using that to, or the Bible is using that, the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, is using that to confirm what was said in Galatians? That there's no misspeak here, there's no doublespeak. What Paul's saying is that a self-controlled person is a person that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. He's a person that you can pick his grapes off of. You can pick joy, peace, grace, faithfulness. You can pick that off his fruit because he's exhibiting it. On the other hand, the description of, of a person that is without self-control is in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I don't see any fruit there, do you? I don't see any fun there, do you? I don't see any, I don't see any enjoyment there. But God calls us to continue on with our life, as in verses 4 through 8. 4 through 8 of Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness, another fruit of the Spirit, and love, another fruit of the Spirit of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the eternal hope of eternal life. Here, again, this is a great description of how we're saved. We're saved by the grace of God. And then Paul tells us how we should live as a result of our salvation. In verse, chapter, in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. In other words, be self-controlled. Come on, Christian person, this is you and me now. We're to be self-controlled. We're to devote ourselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then skip down to verse 14 of the same chapter of Titus 3. Our people 
Christian people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. Christians, that's me and you. We're to live self-controlled lives devoted to what is good. It sounds a lot to me that Paul is describing the life of a self-controlled person that is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're to be doing. Jackie, if you'd come, we'll try to wind this down. Remember what we said at the very beginning of this. What's the, what are the two, somebody remind me, what are the two purposes of fruit? Number one is to be what? To be eaten. Number two is to what? To reproduce itself in like kind. In like kind. And that's exactly what Paul is referring to as, his, as he ends his words with Titus here. That if we're going to be productive, and if we're going to be pleasing to God, then we must live a life of self-control following God's word, not some man's direction, not some man's idea, not trying to fit into this worldly culture around us. No, we're to follow God's word obediently, putting our flesh desires aside, taking up our cross on a daily basis, and following Christ in every aspect of our life. Not the ones we like, not the ones that we can easily, every one. That's why, guys, we said at the during our service, when we're weak, we're strong. When I'm struggling in my weaknesses, that's probably one of those areas of my life that I'm not really good at. Listen. When I'm struggling in my weaknesses, I'm probably, that's probably one of those areas that the devil's got a foothold in me. That's an area where I'm struggling in, and God is saying, if you allow me, I'll make you strong. But you can't do it on your own because you're too weak. So Paul says, I delight in my weaknesses because I know that God's grace is sufficient. And he then will give me the strength to overcome those weaknesses in my areas of my life. So rather than dwell on the weaknesses and let the devil continue to beat you up on that, surrender that. Come bring those weaknesses to the Lord in obedience and say, Father, I'm weak in this area. Will you strengthen me? And you know what? He'll be faithful to strengthen you because he loves you and he wants you to be strengthened. So this morning, as we end this series on the fruit of the Spirit, I'd, I'd like to ask us all to examine the fruit in our lives. What is the fruit in your life? What's evident in your life? Very important that we self-examine ourselves because we've already talked about in Romans chapter 14, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge God, and so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. What do you want God to say about you? You know, that is a really good question to just dwell on throughout this day. What do you want God to say about me? I don't care about people. I don't care what people say about me. I'd rather worry about God, what God has to say about me. I would rather have him say, you know, that man gave me his best. He wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. But he gave me his best. And not only that, but he trusted me. He trusted me. I want to pray with us this morning. I want to pray with all of us this morning. And I, I, I want to ask you this morning if you would just examine your heart and your life this morning. And, and if you want to see God 
stronger in your life. Not that he's not there already, because I believe he is. And most of us, I believe the Lord's already in our life. But if you want him to have a stronger influence in your life, you need to ask him. And he'll give it to you. But God is not a believer in the welfare system. God does not give things to people that don't ask or don't work. That's a whole other subject, a whole other sermon, and we'll talk about that another time. But God just doesn't automatically blanket his goodness to people that if they're not ready to receive it. So you must reach out. You must reach your hand up. If you're going to receive from the Lord, you must reach your hand up. If you don't, if you keep your hands closed-fisted, like I said, God is not going to control you. He will let you go through life with a closed-fisted attitude. Or if you want to receive from God, open your hands. Open your heart. So this morning as I pray, I want to pray for me and I want to pray for you. If you feel the Lord calling you to a higher level of accountability, to a higher level of authority, if you feel him calling you to live out truly the fruit of the Spirit, would you just stand up with me? And let's just pray together. In fact, let's just, if you would, would you just come to the front with me and let's just end this time. Let's end this series on the fruit of the Spirit and let's ask the Lord to be evident in our hearts and lives and to be in ever control of us and that he would give us a direction and give us the authority to have dominion over the enemy. Amen. Let's, uh, let's do something. I don't normally do, but let's grab hands with somebody around you. And let's just pray for each other. Don, let's just hold on to each other's hands this morning and let's just pray that the Lord will give us the strength. You know, it's so important that we need to know that the fruit that we have in our life, we must have a recipient for that fruit. The person that I'm holding their, my hand with they're my recipient and I'm their recipient their fruit rubs off on me and mine rubs off on them so well, we need to pray for each other we need to lift each other up we need to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ we need to be accountable to them we need to be intercessors for them so I want you all just to lift your voice with me all right let's all pray out loud together and let's just pray for those that are standing next to us today and let's just let's just Let's just barge the throne room of heaven on behalf of all of us this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for your church. I thank you for the family of God. I thank you, Lord, for every person here that's represented. I thank you, Lord, for every hand that's touched and every heart is influenced and every influencer here today. I pray your strength. I pray your authority. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you have dominion and control in our hearts and our lives. And even though you will never control us, you, you guard us, you, you call us, you direct us, you constantly are thinking of us. Help us to look up and to receive from you this morning. Help us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts and lives today. We honor you today, Jesus. We thank you for your mercies and your grace. And we give you praise and we give you glory. We welcome you to walk with us throughout our life, throughout the days ahead, throughout the times ahead, that we would never find ourselves thinking that we could slip up in our self-control, that, Lord, that we always are always are looking out for our, our self, for, for each other, 
Lord, that we're always looking for those that we can help and we're always looking for help that those that would give us, that we're never above being teachable. We're always looking up and always ready to receive. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now have a great day today. And go in the Lord and be strong in the Lord today in Jesus' name. Amen.